Welcome back, Psychonauts. We are in for adolescence. So we left off talking about infancy and childhood development, and now we are moving into the teenage years. So adolescence, as defined, the transition period between childhood and adulthood. And this is, uh, you know, we're getting ready for adult responsibilities. So let's start off with, uh, you know, what does it mean to go into adulthood? And that's initiation rites. So like, what are these rites of passage that mark our entry into adulthood? Well, it's different depending on where you go. So sometimes it's, you know, ages, 16, 18, 21. Sometimes it's formal events like bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, graduation from high school, graduation from college, maybe even getting married. And the end of adolescence is the kind of entering into adulthood. But this is a very kind of blurred time period because it's different from person to person. So, well, let's consult these psychologists here. So Margaret Mead will be the first one let's chat about. So Margaret Mead found that in some cultures, adolescence is an enjoyable time, that there's no stress or the storm and stress, as she put it. And that, um, you know, any time that people are feeling storm and stress, Russ um, has to do with a industrialized society, a byproduct of. And so she believed that culture played a huge role in adolescent development. So here's a little study that kind of goes along with it. See what you think. In 1988, a report indicated that adolescence may be a difficult time period. However, in this one, 11% of adolescents said they have serious difficulties, 32% have sporadic problems, and 57% said, you know what? It's pretty positive. I'm happy. Good development time. Go teenage years. So take from that what you will. And so that was a little bit of Margaret Mead that the storm and stress and the our culture and you know our you know we're a byproduct of our culture and so forth. So our nuts, uh, you know, psychologists will talk about is this Robert Havenkahest. Sorry, don't know how to pronounce. And he says that you know, being an adolescent, there's a lot of challenges that you face, and you need to master these if you want to move on to the next stage. So there's nine of them. Let's get going. Number one, accepting one's physical makeup and acquiring a masculine or feminine gender role. All right, number two, developing appropriate relations with peers of both sexes. Number three, becoming emotionally independent of parents and other adults. Number four, achieving the assurance that one will become economically independent. And that kind of goes along with number five, deciding on, preparing for, and entering a vocation. Number six and seven kind of go together, but number six start off with developing the cognitive skills and concepts necessary for social competence. Number seven, understanding the achieving and achieving socially responsible behavior. So those kind of go hand in hand. Like I need to be able to work with society and how interact with people and stuff. And number eight, preparing for marriage and family. And finally, number nine, acquiring values that are harmonious and appropriate, you know, kind of with society in general. So those are the different things that we need to go through to move on to the next stage. And, um, you know, adulthood, that is, stage. So um, the next area I'm going to cover is 
physical development. So, you know, we're going through all these emotional things and whatnot, but, you know, there are some things that we're going to have to physically do. And, you know, that's because the brain of teenagers is not really fully developed at this point. Um, so there's a lot of things going on in the brain. So we, uh, adolescent brains are very different from child brains and adult brains. So we see an increase in gray matter during this time of adolescence. The frontal lobes are not fully connected and not fully developed until the mid-20s. And the, the, the frontal lobe, when fully developed, it helps us to voluntarily restrain impulses. So because it doesn't mature till later in like the mid-20s, um, we see teens are prone to risky behavior. And so that's why you see like a lot of like movies about teenagers. They're so emotional and so forth. And it's the idea that we're ruled much more by emotions at our teenage years um, rather than rationale and logic that we are later on. And this has a lot to do internally with the brain like our neurotransmitters. And a neurotransmitter carries nerve impulses from one brain cell to another. So these change a lot during this early adolescence time. So for instance, serotonin, which uh, regulates moods, um, actually decreases during this time. And scientists believe that these lower levels of serotonin can lead to mood swings and aggressive behavior. At the same time, dopamine becomes more active and dopamine causes individuals to seek out exciting and dangerous experiences. So maybe this is why we see teens engaging in unsafe behavior, um, at least more so than children and adults. Um, now, consequently, going around with this, our brains are developing a lot during this time, and this is a huge concern because the brain is going through all these changes and they're vulnerable to drugs. And if people are engaging in unsafe activities, drugs sometimes is one of those unsafe activities. So marijuana, for instance, um, decreases teens' abilities to perform high-level thinking skills. Mood-altering drugs in general can disrupt and damage the brain as it is developing during a very vital time. So, um, also during this time, we have uh, people are developing their attitudes towards sex. So, um, they people start to kind of uh, figure out what their role is, their gender role, and how they kind of fit into that or fill that or you know, just what are the cultural expectations um, about them based on their general, their, their gender. And this changes all the time. Just attitudes about sex in general change. I mean, look at the 20s, look at the 50s, then the 60s and 70s, and then kind of 90s, and then where we are now. It's just, it's always constantly changing of what's acceptable, not acceptable, and people's just views in general. Um, and kind of just going into that we've seen a uh, teen birth rate has gone down dramatically over the years just constantly there was a little baby bump if you will in the 90s um, and and they attribute a lot of this to pop culture during this time that there's a lot of um, the you know celebrating pregnancy and mothers should uh, mothers to be encouraged to show off their baby bumps there's a lot of reality TV shows magazine covers and just in general that just kind of glamorized being pregnant. Uh, during this time, now I've seen studies that say the opposite, but hey, you know it's it's interesting information, interesting things to think about in general. So um, now attitudes about all this um, 
you know, are, are changing constantly, as we said. And some societies um, view it differently. Some societies say, hey, keep kids in the dark about sex until they get married. Other uh, cultures are like, no, get out there, experience the world, and kind of understand it. And the idea of exploring it in a, in a sexual way uh, in some cultures is it helps you to develop more mature development in this end. And, and that kind of brings us on to our next area of idealized thinking. Um, and the idea behind this is that we're interacting with the world around us and we, we start to kind of um, change our personality and our social interactions during this time. And adolescents tend to become very idealistic during this time of growth. And for the first time, they are looking at like a hypothetical of how things might be. And so if you look at a lot of books during this time, there's a lot of dystopian like teen books. And I know that seems kind of weird when they think about idealized thinking, but usually in these books, you start to see like, you know, oh, the current generation is running things into the ground and, you know, we need to come through and, and you know, we know the right way as teenagers of how things should be. I mean, look at book series like The Hunger Games or The Uglies Divergent series. And it's like, you know, it's usually a teenage character that is trying to right the wrongs of the adult society. And this is, um, this kind of goes along with seeing the failures in the adult generations. And you sometimes see these kids standing up for, you know, what they think is right against maybe the dominant uh, viewpoints of the time period. And a lot of them see failure in adults. So kind of at a micro level, not like a societal level. Um, people, you know, adults complain about their jobs. And so a teenager just, well, well, just quit your job. And they get frustrated when they don't see adults quitting their jobs. It's like, you don't like this, you don't agree with your job, well then quit your job. And that's the different thinking between adults and teenagers, where an adult might say, I hate my job, but I need this job. All right, if I quit, my stress will go up. I'll have money issues. I'll have trouble getting food on the table, paying rent, paying mortgage, making bill payments, and all that stuff. So the real world is not always a good place. And, you know, adults can understand multiple ends of things, whereas the kids, maybe not as much. And kind of moving along with these problems with authority figures and so forth, Dr. Elkind um, kind of identified a lot of these problems and he said a lot of these problems come from immaturity and just the abstract thought process in general have trouble wrapping their brains around this. So a lot of times teenagers will have trouble and find fault in authority figures as we mentioned already. That whole idea of don't meet your heroes. And these teens discover that people they admired for years uh, fall short of the ideas and they want to let everyone know about it, that this person's a phony. And they no longer want to play sports with their parents. Uh, they stop asking for their opinions on things. And that kind of leads us into the next one. They start to argue more with anyone, not just family members. They want to argue because they are building their own viewpoints. And they want to argue and, you know, just any problem because they want to just kind of test out their viewpoints and so forth. And this leads to strained relationships between different, um, you know, adults. And most adults just look at them as like, oh, you're just being difficult kind of thing. And, you know, even though they're arguing all this stuff, sometimes they have trouble making decisions. And this leads to this indecisiveness. So teens are aware of many choices during this time. And they're having to make a lot of choices. And they have trouble making even simple decisions. 
They don't want to make mistakes, fear of doing the wrong thing, and sometimes they just avoid making decisions altogether. And when they have this idealized thinking and all this going on, we also see the next uh, little bullet point here, apparent hypocrisy, where they they understand ideals, but they have trouble leave, living up to them. So they might say, you know what, cheating is wrong, cheating is bad. And then what do they do? They cheat on stuff. I mean, look at school, look at any high school, how much cheating goes on at these schools. And... So that's just the hypocrisy of it all. And the last two I'm going to go over here before we get into identity development is self-consciousness. These, these teens that have trouble making decisions and think the eyes are on them, they assume exactly that, that everyone is thinking about the same thing they are, themselves. And they avoid situations that make them feel uncomfortable. I mean, think about how many people do you know that have broken up with people via text message and stuff. It's that they don't want to put themselves in situations that make them look poorly. And finally, the last one is, and this is, you know, kind of an interesting one considering I just talked about self-consciousness, but the invulnerability of youth, that adolescents begin to feel special, that their experiences are unique, and that they are not the subject of the same rules that govern everyone else. And this special feeling sometimes uh, gets them into risky behavior and self-destructive behavior. Just a little personal anecdote. There was a uh, couple years ago. There was a uh, trampoline that uh, trampoline park that opened up not too far from my summer job, and I remember when it opened up. Being older than I am, I looked at it and said, "You know, well, that's a good way to get hurt." And you know, five years ago, maybe from that st- that time frame, I would have been like, "Man, this looks awesome! I want to get my friends over here and do all this." And it's like, yeah. I, I see it getting hurt now. Back then, maybe it was like indestructible. Let's do it. If I get hurt, ah, that's not even something I think about. So anyhow, food for thought. All right. The next one, identity development. And uh, I'm going to go over, eh, we'll go a little bit longer and then we'll take a little break here to get into part two. But identity development. Eric Erickson, who we've outlined before, he said that establishing an identity during adolescence is is huge. So um, it's very unique to adolescence, he felt. And, you know, in the past, we talked about with kids that they pretend to be fictional or non-fictional characters. But, you know, that's not really growing up or identity. That's just kind of children playing. They're not, those children are not brooding about, you know, who they're going to be and where they're going in life. Children live in the present. Adolescents, they think about the future. And this can lead to identity crisis. And that's that inner conflict where they worry intensely about who they are and where their future lies. And, you know, future the future to them is it's reality. It's not just a pretend game like children we talked about a moment ago. And it's difficult to think about their past, look forward to the future. And, you know, where are they in the middle of this? And there's just a ton of inner conflict during this time. And they want to feel unique and distinctive, but they want to fit in. And there's a lot of role confusion because of this. And that's a very normal thing for teenagers to experience. And it's why a lot of teenage lives seem very chaotic during this time. And they're very self-conscious. They are just worried about things and how they look to everyone. And sometimes this confusion, this role confusion, is represented by childish behavior. Um, They don't um, resolve conflicts. They have very impulsive behavior, decision-making problems, just a little bit of everything. And 
The next person we're going to talk about, and the last one in this section of the podcast, is James Marsha. And James Marsha says that, yes, they are trying to achieve this identity, and there's four stages. Now, take these four stages with a grain of salt, and I'll kind of address that when we get done. But this is what James Marsha has to say. So number one, identity moratorium adolescence. All right, so these are kids, or teens, sorry, that are considering a lot of issues, but they haven't made a commitment on any important issues facing them just yet. So they're listening to their parents, society, and their own beliefs, but they just really haven't made a decision yet. All right, that's the first one. The second one, identity foreclosure adolescence. So this is a teen who has made a firm commitment about issues based on their own choices, but also on the suggestion of others. So they're really following what their parents have kind of uh, set them up to be in life. Um, they, they generally find that these people are rigid and have uh, difficulty changing their beliefs moving forward. All right, number three, identity confused or diffused, if I'm saying this right, adolescence. So they haven't really given any thought to making decisions and really don't have any sense of identity. They don't, they haven't chosen a career and they don't even care about it. And then there's number four, and this sounds like this is probably the best one to kind of fall under, the identity achievement adolescence. They've considered a lot of possibilities. They consider lots of, a lot of identities. They have committed themselves to an occupation and other important life matters. Um, they've examined several choices. They've made their own decisions on their own terms, and sometimes these even run contrary to their parents' wishes. Um, and so they've reevaluated past beliefs when reaching these decisions. They tend to be very flexible people, typically not very overwhelmed in the face of unexpected challenges or responsibilities. So now remember earlier when I said take these with a grain of salt, and that's because it is possible for an individual to make a transition from one category to another. It's not like you're stuck there forever. Um, and it's also possible to belong to one category in respect to one aspect of your life, like religious commitments. And it's possible to um, identify with another uh, stage um, as part of, you know, maybe your political orientation or occupation choices. Basically, when it comes down to it, Marsha's ideas seem to be a little rigid and it's not quite the ebb and flow of real life. So we are going to stop there for part one and we'll pick up with part two with the social learning view. So we'll be back momentarily.